show with two retired detectives that were in the thick of New York crime, fast and hectic. They got some stories and some jokes, even an interview with the most powerful folks. Off the cuff, off the cuff, one episode just ain't enough. Get a little laughter and an interview too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired uh, NYPD sergeant. And with me tonight, retired NYPD detective and straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing tonight, Phil? Pretty good, Billy. How about you? Doing well. You know, I, I, I've i done a are lot. Are you of- wiped out from today? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little wiped out. I started earlier in the day at about 12.30 uh, p.m. doing a coffee with Cannon. And I did about maybe 35, 40 minutes with that. And then later in the day, I wasn't going to do anything, but then uh, that young boy in connection with the Astro World uh, concert, the 10th victim died, and he was a nine-year-old boy uh, who was trampled to death and never recovered consciousness. He was in a self-induced coma by the doctors, and uh, he died yesterday, and that makes the 10th victim. So... I decided to go live with that case, and it's just it's just such a horrendous tragedy, you know. So just to keep our, our people updated, and now here today tonight here's a case that we spoke about together, and um, it's largely been put on the back burner. There was a uh, a ton of information when this case first occurred, which was on June 15th, and I'm referring to the Summer Wells case, where a five year old girl has been missing for now over five months. And uh, it's just a horrendous tragedy. And every time you take a deep dive into this case, which we have done and numerous uh, YouTube content creators have, uh, the TBI, Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, and the local police are, are on this case. And um, they're, not, they're very tight-lipped. They don't release any information. So all the information is coming out second and third hand. But she happened to go on... Candace and Don happened to go on Dr. Phil this week. And there was no new ground that was blazed by Dr. Phil and his team of body language interpreters. Uh, I think that that horse is still is, has gotten out of the barn. And um, we have our feelings on this case. And many people in the chat, many people have been following this case. They're just baffled to this. But... Um, I just, I just think that you know, this case will be solved eventually. It's just going to take a, a, a lot of time, and there's a lot of uh, questions in this case. There's a lot of ugly things going on in this case, and um, I, I mean, I always felt that um, Don and Candace are somehow involved in this, and I still feel that to this day. I haven't changed my position. Uh, May there be other players in this? Yeah, but I, I still think I just don't like their whole uh, their body language when they're interviewed. I don't like the, the the fact that they don't have answers to a lot of things. 
And many things don't make sense, but the way they do in many investigations. But I just feel that if anyone is uh, not telling the truth or is very deceptive, I believe it's Candace more so than Don. But if Candace is not telling the truth, then neither is Don, because he knows everything she knows. Uh, That's my feelings. Your feelings, Phil. Well, Bill, um, I think that you basically summed up uh, both of our feelings, so to speak, with regard to this case, what's been going on with it. I just want to give a quick timeline on uh, to bring us up to date a little bit. I mean, we've been through the case numerous times, but she was reported missing on June 15th of this year at about 1830 hours, which would be 630 p.m. We went through the timeline uh, of where she was beforehand. We feel that there was a very short window of time. Actually, it's down to even just a couple of minutes when she was actually uh, unaccounted for. But there was only like a, a short window of time where she was unaccounted for at the home. We, we said that there was initially it was like a four-hour time period. But now we kind of narrowed it down based on interviews and all the different things that were reported. So it was just a couple of minutes, it seems like. But extensive ster- search begins uh uh, Captain Tim Coop of the local police, as well as the fire rescue. Um, I'm sorry, Captain Tim Coop of the fire rescue was one of the people that was leading that uh, initial search. TBI, FBI joined in with the local police right away. There was an Amber Alert. 13, 13 days into the search, it was scaled back a little bit. Candace and Don wind up doing multiple media interviews. Uh, there was indication of drugs and being drunk and stuff like that. Um throughout this case, uh, since this first was reported, um, you know, they had appeared in media and I think you're going to play some of it where they appear to be intoxicated. Um, July 24th, 25th Midwest Equa search, which is, uh, one of the great, uh, volunteer search teams, uh, joined in on the search. Um, they were back there several times as a matter of fact. Um, and around July 27th, the other children in the home were removed. And I think that that's very important. We'll talk about that. After that, extensive media was done uh, with Candace, with a friend of, uh, of uh, there's a young boy by the name of H. I'll just give his, his initial, a uh, 15-year-old boy. Uh, so, so a lot of different things have been going on. But uh, if we're going to talk about the latest episode of the Dr. Phil show, yes, they brought in two experts, alleged experts. They had uh, some credentials, Scott Rouse and Greg Hartley. Scott is a behavioral analyst. Uh, at, I'm sorry, a behavioral behavior analysis and a body language expert. And Greg Hartley is a human behavior consultant. Now, they're supposed to be, as a team, they called them that the human um, lie detectors. So they did uh, some interviews with them. And uh, we'll dig d- down on, on the stuff that happened during those interviews, Bill. Um, I think that, you know, uh, I put some faith in body language. I do feel that body language is developed. I mean, there's, there's obviously a science to it that, uh, you know, books are written about it. There's experts on it, but I really feel as a homicide investigator over the course of my career, uh, I had to be in a room with somebody talking to them, maybe just even normal conversation, pedigree information back and forth. And that's when I start to develop body language. That's my uh, experience with body language. Now, there are different techniques that you can look for when you're trying to study a person's body language. But I think the best way is 
through that conversation, meeting that person, talking to them, see what their response to known answer questions. What I mean by a known answer question, if you ask them something that you already know the answer to, they answer it correctly, you're starting to develop how they're going to answer these questions. Then once you get into the meat of the interview, whether it be a missing person case, a homicide, a shooting, stabbing, whatever it is, and then you start to develop when you feel that they're being evasive, you now develop the patterns that they exhibit during those evasive moves. And you can even ask them stuff that you know is a lie specifically to build up those. Uh, Phil, those Phil what, you're, what you're describing as someone in the chat so eloquently said is you're, you're developing a baseline set of questions and answers. And uh, I don't know if they call it that in Brooklyn, but that's what they call it in the rest <laughs> of the world. But <laughs> But you know, it's Phil, one of the things I wanted to say about Don Wells, all right, he's a criminal, all right? He's been interviewed, he's been interrogated lots of times. He knows the game. He knows how to answer questions, you know? And he can maybe even outsmart a lot of interviewers, a lot of interrogators. The other point about these two suit and tie body language readers on the Dr. Phil show, to really get a good interview of someone, you have to spend hours with them. Not half hour, not an hour and say, oh, I got the answers. They're not being deceptive. You know, I don't think that's the proper way. And I'm not I'm not putting down these two gentlemen. They're probably very good at their job. But I just know from working hundreds and hundreds of homicide cases and how long it takes to get someone to tell the truth. Sometimes it can take, as you know, it could take five or six hours, eight hours, 10 hours, and then they start to come around. So to say that you can just immediately read body language after a half hour or 45 minutes or an hour and say definitively that this way she dropped her shoulder, way she put up her hands, she was being defensive. I mean, come on. I'm not, I don't buy that. And I know that, again, NYPD detectives, they get the reputation and you have behind you, it says the greatest in the world. And basically all, everything you learn is on the job training. You learn from other detectives how to interview people, how to interrogate people. And then you do hundreds and thousands of interviews and interrogations, and that's what makes you so good at it. So maybe even to describe what you do might be difficult to describe or even to teach someone how you do it because it's learned by rote and on the job and doing it over and over and over again. This interview that I'm going to show, this was one of the first interviews they did. And when I first uh, saw this, I was just sort of baffled uh, that, first of all, both she looks like she's on drugs or high, one of those. Let me just play it, and our audience and everyone else watching can determine how they feel about this. A lot. I know she didn't walk away from this property by herself or off this yard. By her swing, I feel in my heart that somebody has came up here and took her and has lured her away from here. Me and my mother and her were planting flowers. And we went in after we got done washing our hands and she got a piece of candy from grandma. And she wanted to go back over and see her brothers. And I said, okay. And I walked her all the way over to the porch and I watched her walk into the kitchen where the boys were watching TV. And I told the boys, I said, 
watch summer. I'll be back. And within two minutes, I came back. And I asked the boys where their sister was. And they said, she went downstairs, mom, to play with her toys in the playroom. I said, okay. And I yelled downstairs for her a couple times. And I didn't get no answer, which was unusual because usually she always answers me. And so I went down there to check, and she was nowhere in sight. She was just gone. I don't go on walks around here or runs because I'm scared of the bears and snakes and even the coyotes that are around here. Well, whoever has my daughter, I pray and hope that they have not harmed her and they bring her back to us safe and sound. Just turn, I mean, go to the FBI, the police, and uh, clear it up. I mean, I don't know, it seems kind of elusive. It's really strange that I've never seen this truck, and I've never heard of it until just recently. But I wish they would come forward and explain themselves. And if you're not a suspect, at least come forward and say what you've seen. She was a tomboy. I shaved my head. She wanted to have her head shaved like me and the boys did. She tried to shave her head she tried in to the shave back her head and, and make it. Uh, I think you can see it in some of the pictures. And it was getting out of control. So she, we decided to shave her head off and let it grow back long. And she shaved her head to, to so she wouldn't feel bad. And, uh, but. But it didn't bother at this point. Well, we knew, I knew right away that she was abducted. You know, I knew that right away. And that's what I told them from the beginning. But they have to, they have to go through their, you know, I forget the word. Phil, how weird is that, that he says, I knew right away that she was abducted. Now, this is early on in the investigation where no one really knew anything. So for him to say that, he knew right away she was abducted. I found that to be quite unusual. The other thing I found unusual is that whenever people they're being interviewed and they offer up little um, little pieces of information that have no meaning, like she got a piece of candy from grandma, we washed our hands several times. Like, what does that have to do with the story? You know what I mean? Like you're adding in these little tidbits. And I always found out when people did that, it was because they were being deceptive and they were filling up the ahs and the oohs with, you know, I got a piece of candy from grandma. We washed our hands several times, you know, information that the questioners and the interviewers don't really need to know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the fact that he's, he's like convinced that she's abducted at this point, um, I don't know that, uh, you know, that that's really, you know, to be that accurate about it. That doesn't make sense to me. You know, it seems kind of odd. He's talking a matter of factly that it's definite that she's been abducted. And, uh, you know, there's just so many things that can be said about Don. I mean, since this all occurred back in June, he's been arrested several times. Um, during the Dr. Phil show, he made mention of that people had been coming out to the house and somebody came out to the house late at night and he fired a shot over their head. So I think that, uh, you know, he's still got access to firearms. This guy sounds like uh, he's got some issues. They obviously took the children away. And, you know, uh, during the Dr. Phil show, um, 
there was a question about, uh, you know, uh, do you want the children back? Yes. They both, yeah, we want the boys back. And he asked, he says, well, do you think if there's an inspection of the home that you guys will be uh, in compliance with what they're looking for to return the boys home? And he said, well, there's several things they want us to work on. Of course, they showed the house is not, you know, it's in a lot of disarray and stuff like that. So there's, there's, there's a pattern here. There's a lot of things going on. There's obviously drinking, uh, drug abuse. Uh, the, the, it's not really a fit home. Apparently, they took the children away for their own safety. And they're basing that on the things that were going on in the home previously, as well as they felt that it was a dangerous place to be based on there was a big media uproar against Candace and Don. So those things were cited by Candace and Don during that show as well. And, you know, so you, you have a, you have a, a conglomerate of a lot of different moving parts and different things going on in this, in this home and in this family. So to look at them, I don't think is, uh, you know, it's, it's quite logical to, to either, include them or exclude them as uh, being involved in the disappearance of little summer. So, you know, uh, again, the more you dig into them, the more you find. And, you know, there's just a few things that I wrote down from watching that episode. And one of the chatters had wrote um, that she didn't learn anything new from the show. And I, I, I'm going to disagree with that because, I mean, listen, we didn't find anything that's going to directly lead us back to what happened and where Summer Wells is. But there's a few topics that came up and we'll discuss them as this, uh, after the video plays, Bill. All right, let's go back. Uh, listen a little more of this. I feel for them. But I just wish there was a way that neighbors could search neighbors' houses. And then if they're not willing, you know, get a search warrant or something, but there's just no way you can search every single house, you know, in the Eastern United States or whatever. But I you know, Steffi in the chat, I just wanted to break in. You keep asking, did anyone interview the three boys who were yeah, taken away from them? I'm 100% sure that they were interviewed. Uh, all the information that the local police have, the FBI and the TBI, they haven't released anything. So we don't know. But that would definitely be part of a large investigation like that. And if they didn't interview the boys, they would be remiss in the investigative duties. Let's move on. Yeah, there's always going to be haters, you know, and, <clears throat> you know, it's always going to be that way in this world. And we just want to focus on the the good friends and Christian people that are trying to help us and praying for us and praying for summer. And uh, we thank them from the bottom of our hearts. And that's the kind of people we try to relate with and socialize with. So we don't know anything about, you know, no red truck or we hardly know many of our neighbors. I mean, because we just try to be around good people. I mean, and we do have good people in this area. We found out since this has all happened, we got some real good neighbors and good folks everywhere. But uh, the most important uh, thing is to bring summer home safe. I'm sorry that you feel this way about us, but we love our children with everything we have. We've never went without, thanks to Summer's daddy and my husband. He's always provided for us and has worked as much as he could and can and still is. And I'm sorry that you guys feel that way, but 
that's my baby and nobody would ever treat her like that as long as I was around. That's another strange statement there. No one would ever treat her like that as long as I was around. How do you know how she's being treated? You know, uh, it's almost implying that she knows something nefarious has happened to Summer. So to me, and no, like this is from a, a day or two after, uh, you know, she became missing. So this is very early on in the investigation. I just find that to be a very strange uh, statement to make. Hundred percent, Billy. Twirl, and she would she would just like to twirl and twirl and twirl until my arm got tired, <laughs> you know. But and you know, I I put out there that. One of can uh, one of Summer's favorite songs was uh, Godzilla, and they say you know, and they're jumping all over me about past tense was you know. Well, I'm sorry about that. It's just she also liked the song um, by New Breed. It was called House, My House. She sung that a lot of times when I play it on the TV. She loved to dance. She liked to think of herself as a princess and, uh, you know, and all that, like all young girls do. And, uh, Bill, that was another thing. And, you know, you could take it for what it's worth, but they referred to her dancing in the past tense. She said she loved to dance, which is in the past tense. So, yes. uh, is that meaningful? I, I think it is. And what that love is, but you feel it and you know it, you know, when you're young and she felt that there and then she loved everybody in that church or she loves everybody in that church. I should rephrase that because they'll tear that apart as past tense. And I apologize again for that. I hope she gets to come home, you know, and I hope she gets to be with our church family again. Our best friend in that yeah. church was Robin. She loved yeah, her to death. Yeah, she looked up to when women that were. She come to that church. She went looking for Robin. That was her favorite person. Any woman that uh, was professional, that was pretty, yeah, beautiful. she looked up to those kind of women. She, you know, they were. Uh, how do you, the word I'm looking for? I can't think of it, but she looked up to them. She gave them a run for their money every day. She'd give them a run for their money. And there was times, you know, we'd, we'd be, you know, that our boys, like, don't do this, don't do that. And next thing you know, the stick would come up and just whop them, you know. And it'd be like, Summer, don't do that. You Summer know? was the boss of the family. Yeah, she's she, typical girl. And they get out of line, she'd put them in line. She'd do her best. She'd love to play in the mud and the water and swing on her swing and enjoy dirt when i was when i run the lawnmower around she she would run behind me when the boys run their bikes around she as fast as that little bike could go she would be behind them running and keeping up with them no problem you know she loved to run she just loved to run and uh, she could pull herself up on that swing her full body weight with her two hands and she could do that nobody none of the other boys can do that but she can was she at school yet? No, no, she was going this year. This was supposed to be her first year. She's been, uh, we did all the what? I took care of everything. Yeah. She, I had her already took on all of her shots and registered in the school for ready for this year. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's enough. We get a good idea. And for, yeah. folks, for folks that are in the chat, that if this is their first time uh, viewing the, uh, some of the players in this case, that was one of the first interviews they did. And after that, um, they did take and pass several uh, lie detector uh, tests administered by uh, the local police or TBI. And um, Phil and I have spoken about that before. On the NYPD, I, and, and I'm not trying to say, you know, we're, we're God's greatest gifts to the investigation, but I never can remember us ever using a lie detector test uh, in my career, in my 27-year police career. And of that, 2716 was in the detective bureau. I don't ever, ever remember them administering a lie detector test to anyone. So I don't know why investigators jump right out and say, let's give a lie detector test. First of all, it's not admissible in court. And if, if you're a good interviewer, a good interrogator, you can determine when someone's lying anyway without that machine. So I don't know why people have to jump to, oh, did they pass the lie detector test or did they fail it? It's not admissible. So what's the point in using it? Yeah. And also, uh, I'm sure we spoke about this before that uh, if you're intoxicated or if you have narcotics in your system, the machine is not going to pick up the rhythms that it would pick up if you were not intoxicated, if you were, you know, if you were straight. So when you're high, it, it throws the machine off. Uh, I think actually one of the times that uh, she went to go, uh, she, she uh, responded to take a lie detector test. It was clear that she was intoxicated and they, they told her they weren't going to do it. So who knows if they were uh, uh, taking tranquilizers or different narcotics to throw off the machine. So we're not going to put a lot of weight in that, but Billy, you know, if we're going to go back to the Dr. Phil show, uh, one of the, the, I was trying to find the person's name. I think it was Jen Bernhard said she didn't find anything new based on watching that show. Now I disagree with that. Uh, again, I'm not going to say that we found something so great. There was the aha moment that turned the tide on this whole case, but um Candace, who was being interviewed by Scott Rouse and Greg Hartley, the two, uh, the behavioral analyst and body language expert and a human behavior consultant, uh, the minute they started to dig down on her, she became emotional. She pulled off the microphone. She says, no, I feel like I'm being interrogated again. And she stormed off. So that was one thing that that was a, a major reaction, you know, from doing all these media interviews. Now they had behavioral and body language experts, uh, uh, a human behavior consultant, a body language expert, it was a little bit difficult maybe for her to, you know, hide what it was she was trying to hide. And they both concluded that they felt that she was holding back. They, their exact words were that she was holding back something based on the interview. She showed signs of holding back. She walked out of the interview and she showed signs of holding back. Now they did add as long with, along with Dr. Phil, that they didn't think she was responsible for hurting her daughter uh, or directly involved in her disappearance. However, there was things that they asked. And one of the questions specifically was, what do you think should happen to the people or the person that was responsible for this? She took a great hesitation and said, in a very, very low voice that she thought that they should suffer like she's suffering, something to that effect. So they they made note of that. Uh, Dr. Phil, as well as the two 
experts on body language. They said that that showed she was holding back something. And that question tells me that there's something that she knows about this that she's not She's not being forthcoming with. And you know, you know, Phil. The, the language they used was that they felt that she had guilty knowledge of yes. what had happened to Summer, and so I mean, that's a nice way of saying she's holding back. But right, right, right. But no, I'm just saying. No, that's the yeah. lingo they use. And look, yeah. I don't think Doctor Phil or any of the people he has on his show. This is a daytime television show. It's there for entertainment. They're not professional law enforcement investigators. Right. Doctor Phil can sit there with his fifty thousand dollar watch, and I, I don't, I don't buy any of the bullshit he says. You know what you need to do is to do this. You know, like come on, yeah. Doctor Phil. You know, go go out and you know actually go walk the streets of Harlem looking for into into filthy needle, uh, you know, hypodermic needle and. Uh, pit bulls all around. You do that. And then I'll listen to what you have to say on your television show. When you're searching for a perpetrator at four o'clock in the morning, pull him, pulling him out of bed when you know, he's just shot and killed two people. Then I'll listen to you, Dr. Phil. Other than that, you know, this is what I need to do because I'm going to help you find your daughter. Come on, doc, give me a break. You know? And he was also saying like, and I hope, you know, some of you people, you may object to me goofing on Dr. Phil. If you're the greatest, his greatest fans. That's fine. He's not a law enforcement officer. I don't even know if he's a real PhD, but he does have a TV show. We all know that. But, you know, all of a sudden he's getting involved five months down the road and we're supposed to be like, oh my God, Dr. Phil thinks this. I don't feel that way. You know what I mean? It's almost like like dog telling us he doesn't think that uh, Brian Laundry's bones were recovered. You know, dogs are caught. Dogs a cartoon character, and everyone on the, uh, on social media is like, "Oh, dog said this." You know, I don't care what dog said. You know, yeah. You, you know, it's funny about the episode. They broke it into two parts. I saw just about every minute of it. I, I won't say I saw every second of it, but they went in the direction of. Candace and Don, they pointed out all the different issues that they have. And then they showed that she was being uh, not forthcoming with information. And then at the end of it, they said, oh, we don't think that uh, she's involved. But he makes a point of saying to her, I'm asking you a question. And, you, you know, you walked out of the interview with Scott and Greg. And we're just trying to help you find your daughter. Why would you do that? And she really doesn't have an answer. So it's like she doesn't want to cooperate fully. And you know, she became very emotional at that point with the two interviewers, the two body language experts. And then when the word cornbread mafia was brought up, the cornbread mafia, they asked to give a, a short description of it. And they said, they're uh, probably drug traffickers, probably an organized crime type, not, not you know, uh, traditional organized crime like we have in New York area or in, in different areas of the country, but an organized crime group that deals in methamphetamine. So they're, they're drug pushers basically. And they're probably involved in some other criminal activity. She heard that. That's when she walked out of the interview. So he went on to ask her more, more things about it. And that's where they came up with the possible abduction by these meth pushes or meth methamphetamine pushes or something to that effect that maybe, you know, she might be holding back and, and this is really uh, hypothetical because I can't say for sure. Maybe that she had, uh, you know, uh, business dealings with these methamphetamine deals. Maybe she or, or Don uses meth and there might've been a dispute. And then he talks about, this is another thing that also makes it 
quite suspicious about this cornbread mafia. He claims that he fired a worker. He says, I fired several workers that worked for me. And most of the time it was because they were using meth. And he said, the day before I fired a methamphetamine head, and he said he swore he was going to get even with me. And the next day, my daughter goes missing. So they did throw out some some other things and scenarios of that uh, that but, sort. But you know, some Phil, they're late to the game. You know, hundred oh, percent. You know, you know that part of an investigation is, and you call it spitballing. I call it uh, hypothesizing and theorizing, and then typerizing your reports. But you know, they're late to the game, and they're just they're, they're saying things that we were saying in week one of this investigation, Joan E. Cornbread Mafia, what do you think about the latest news releases from TBI and arrest in human trafficking in Sullivan County, East Tennessee, drug arrest a few days ago of meth coming from Mexico? Look, I don't doubt there's a lot of drug use in this area. That could be a direct result of this case too, Billy, because he did say that the person who was fired and the next day that uh, his daughter was missing. He said the police ex extensively interviewed that person and they had a solid, solid alibi. Now, maybe because of these talking about this cornbread mafia, maybe they targeted them for arrest and maybe develop information on the whereabouts of Summer Worlds. We don't know that to be fact, but I'm glad that person brought that up. Of course, that could be. I mean, obviously, Bill, if we had this case and we were starting to go in that direction, and, and I got to say, I thought before, uh, you know, watching this Dr. Phil episode, the chances of abduction were small in my mind. And my, all the theories that I was going through, that was uh, a, a very small amount of percentage that I would think would be possible. However, now after watching this, it did, you know, it went up a notch. I'll say it went up a notch, but uh, this might, uh, this uh, latest investigation by TBI uh, targeting this cornbread ma mafia might be a direct result. I don't know if they had uh, investigations already going, but it might be a direct result of the uh, Summer Wells missing person case. Brent Montgomery, thank you very much for the $5 super chat. Uh, folks, uh, this is Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. If you're not subscribed to us and you like things from a police perspective, uh, digging deep into these real crime stories, please go to our YouTube, hit the subscribe button, ring that bell, and give us a thumbs up. It's free, so uh, join the uh, Police Off the Cuff family. Yeah, so, you know, it's just there's there's so many different twists and turns. And, you know, you know that being in a, an investigation where it doesn't, you don't get positive results right away, you just keep digging and digging and digging. And you talk to everybody. And we just mentioned something about the Cornbread Mafia and that they potentially could be involved in human trafficking and drug, meth, and all that stuff. When you make arrests in that vein, one of the most important things to do is to debrief the arrestees and find cool. out. And if someone's facing a lot of time in prison because of A1 felony drug weight, let's make a deal. You know, that's what it's called. Let's make a deal. We want to talk. What do you know about Summer Wells? You know, maybe you'll get some good information. And that's how the police and the FBI and TBI, all of those people work. And that's hopefully we'll get some good information. You know, I don't think we're going to get information from Dr. Phil's show. Uh, but you, that's how you get real police information. You know, Dr. Phil, at the end of the show, um, he made a statement, and I'm going to give him credit for this because I think it falls right in line with you and I both feel about this case. And he says he believes that when this case is solved, and he said it will be solved, we've said the same thing, but he said, I don't think it's going to be, 
are not, it's going to be not a stranger perpetrator, meaning that she wasn't just abducted by some stranger. And I, I really feel that that's a strong, very strong possibility. It's going to be somebody either Don and Candace or somebody close to them is going to be responsible for the abduction of Summer Wells. I just don't see uh, a stranger marching into that property. We had gone through this numerous times, the layout of the property. Uh, we had uh, Don Rader on from uh, Midwest Equi uh, EquiSearch and, uh, you know, uh, the dogs being there, all the different things. Uh, I don't think that somebody staked out and a complete and total stranger and abducted. I think that that's a very, very, very small possibility. And I got to give credit to Dr. Phil and his staff. They came up with that same uh, assumption that they feel that that's going to be, uh, you know, it's not going to be a stranger perpetrator. You know, Phil, I, I, I totally believe that also. I think that's what, if he hit anything that was true in that whole uh, two or three point show, it. whatever it was, <laughs> that was probably it. And yeah, the thing was, is not only do I, if, if someone did take her, it's definitely known to them that, but I still think that Candace is involved in this. I totally feel that way. And I just do not believe any of her crocodile tears and people, they don't understand. We've done this before. You know, we've worked hundreds and hundreds of murder cases. Not that this is a murder case. Well, hopefully it's not. Hopefully one day some of Wells will turn up alive, but. Oh God, that, that should be, uh, that would be fantastic and hopefully safe and sound and, uh, alive. That's what we hope and pray for. I'm 100%. And the thing is guys, uh, you know, everyone's asking, where's the TBI? Where's the Hawkins County police? Where's the FBI? They're out there. They're working this case, but guess what? They're not sharing it with the media. And that's probably the smartest thing you can do is not share everything with the media because that you, you know, in a police investigation, you can use the media to your advantage, but the media can also use you and hurt hurt a criminal investigation. So they're being very careful about what they release, how much they release, and they don't want certain things out there. Look, we've heard nothing about the electronic evidence in this case, computer evidence, cell phone evidence, text message evidence, GPS evidence. We've heard Nothing from the police or from the real investigators on this. We've heard a lot of stuff from uh, YouTube content creators, and we don't know if any of that information has, in fact, been vetted or if it's true. We don't know because you're getting it second, third, fourth, fifth hand. So the real information and the real investigators on this are being very, very tight-lipped, and they're not releasing any of their information. So they may be in a direction in a solid uh, direction towards solving this case. But we won't know that because they're not going to release it because it may compromise their investigation. Bill, uh, I'm not sure if you saw the whole Dr. Phil episode, but if you go back or anybody that wants to, you know, in the chat or any of the subscribers, they want to go back and look at it. You will see, I mean, it's really, you don't have to be a criminal investigator to see the reactions that Candace had to the questions, the way she stormed out. If you look at her behavior and the way she portrayed herself, it's going to be clear that she was holding back something. So there's something there. There's definitely something there. And I'm going to go back a little bit to what we were talking about in the beginning of the show, the beginning of the episode. When you're doing an interview, like I would walk into this and I would just, you know, Tell me the story. Tell me what happened. Just let them tell it a few times. Get friendly with them. Let them get comfortable. And then 
once you've dis- established that some of the things that they're telling you are not true, like you said, we're developing a baseline. And, you know, when you start to develop that, some of the things may not be true and you start to hit them with the questions and then you dig down deeper and harder and you catch them in some lies. And, and then, you know, even the uh, account of what they did prior to her going missing in the afternoon, the late afternoon, uh, you know, the cell phone activity, which I think you brought up was great, a great point that we haven't talked about yet. You know, the cell phone activity will place them in different locations. And then if she says she was here and there and, you know, the cell phone activity uh, contradicts it, then you're going to have something you could dig down on. Now, it, even if it's not that important, something that happened earlier in the afternoon, but if she's lying about that, what else are you lying about? That would be the, that's what I, when I would start to get tough with her on an, uh, on an interview, you know, you told me about this, but, 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 but now your, your, uh, your cell phone is saying you were here and you know, you're lying about this. What, what, what are you, li- what else are you lying about? Are you lying about the whereabouts of your daughter, you know, and get into it. I mean, and listen, Don has shown himself to be a train wreck. He's got criminal charges pending for a recent DWI and stuff. And he's been arrested before. So, you know, that, listen, that's where uh, the mystery, uh, the, the, the solving of the puzzle, the solving of the mystery lies, it lies within them. And maybe they're not directly involved. That's still a possibility, but the information that either one of them or Bolt is holding back on might take you in the direction to tell you where she is, what her whereabouts are and how she was, abducted or how she, you know, it, it was missing from, you know, back in uh, June of this year. I'm just going to play a little bit of this. This is um, when she was missing for four missing. months. And I say this because I found probably a very little known recording of the dad. When he says we were only 30 to 40 feet away when she disappeared, yet according to the 911 uh, operator, the mother had gone on a walk and returned and she had disappeared. And according to another report by the mother, she herself says that she was just checking on the grandmother on a brace uh, and she went back within, uh, she says two to five minutes and the little girl was gone. And there's more inconsistencies and unusual statements beyond that. Mm-hmm. For well, instance, returning- Go ahead. Oh, oh I'm sorry, Marty. Speaking of her in the past tense, Mm. very early on, and also very early on saying that they truly think she is dead. Right. Uh, And to hear from a parent when your child is missing um, is troubling. The other thing, Jennifer, is Summer's father said uh, that his three other sons were taken from their home for their own safety. And he said, quote, uh, right now it's not safe at my house. So help us read between those lines. Well, That family has been uh, accused and actually there have been charges filed regarding domestic abuse by both the mother and the father historically. So this is nothing that is foreign to them in terms of neglect and other abuse issues within that family. So I don't think it's of any surprise. And I think he basically summed it up pretty succinctly. And real quick, Jennifer, I only have about 30 seconds, but what are the biggest challenges when a little girl like this seems to have just vanished into thin air and more and more time has passed? We're almost at five months. 
Well, there's only a couple scenarios really that exist in this case. One, she wandered off through a door, which again is inconsistent whether it was either opened or unopened and drowned in a nearby water pond or something of that sort. And I have had a case just like that where in this very similar situation that happened hmm. or that a family member or an acquaintance abducted or somehow harmed her or number two, that she accidentally was harmed and they're covering it up. But wow. no matter, I believe it is not a stranger situation. It's somebody that knows her and sadly that she knew. Where is Summer Wells? Jennifer Koffendoffer. So Phil, as you could see, she said a month before the Dr. Phil show that she felt that this was a, a retired FBI agent. So I don't think Dr. Phil invented that. I think he, you know, he's read up on the case like we all have. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's uh, it's not something that was a smoking gun. It's not the Zapruda tape from the Kennedy assassination. You know what I mean? It's yeah. It, it's uh, it's something that you can really figure out from listening and just uh, look. One of the things with um, uh, Ohio Equus search with uh, Dave Rader, he went out to uh, the Wells home. And they searched uh, with drones and uh, a crew. And this was actually months after, and they found nothing. And he felt from the very beginning that the probability of her being taken were very, very slim. Yes. Because of the time frame, you know. Uh, so, you know, th we've been up and down this path before. Mm -hmm. But, I, I, you know, as more and more – look, uh, just to go – to segue to another area, we covered the um, the girl from Australia, the little girl that was uh, that was kidnapped Cleo right Smith. out of Cleo Smith right out of a tent, and for three weeks, no one had any clue, and they they found her. Right, and that was one of the most amazing stories. Absolutely, but in this case, so far, five months have gone by, and we don't have that happy story to report yet. You know, and could it happen? Yeah, it could happen, but I sort of feel that. Uh, what all the FBI agent said, what Dr. Phil said, if she was taken, she was taken by someone that knows them. First of all, to go on that property, you have to practically be Crocodile Dundee, you know, because uh, it's a scary place. The house is like uh, a dangerous place. Wires all over the place. Um, if, if, if someone that was a building inspector inspected that house, that house would fail in 25, 30 different ways, you know. So uh, I think that that um, uh, Don Don Wells made uh, uh, a remark during the Dr. Phil show where he said uh, they're looking for us to put up some walls and stuff like that because obviously there's areas at a home that are obviously very unsafe and I mean they're they're asking them to construct walls and stuff and if you saw the way that you had to get into which they showed it on the Dr. Phil show uh, to get down into the basement area where. Uh, Little summer sweat uh, slept. It was actually quite difficult. You had to turn your body around and go down. Uh, it was almost like a dungeon type situation. But uh, one other thing that Doctor Phil brought up, and I thought this was very, very good on his point. I, I, I don't want to seem like I'm beating up on Candace or praising Doctor Phil, but I just from watching it, and I, that, that's really why we went on tonight. Uh, he says there's the time frame that she says between when she was by her mother's trailer, which was only like 20, 15, 20 yards away, not even. Uh, and she had given uh, 
some of some candy. And then uh, she walked her up to the door and she saw her go into the house. And then she waited a couple of minutes, like two minutes. And she went right back in and she asked, where's summer to the boys. Now he categorized it as she's not a hypervigilant mother. And I think that that's exactly right. Why would she within only two minutes of not seeing that kid and the kids, you know, plays outside the house, she plays inside the house, you know, the boys were there, people were home. It wasn't like it was two o'clock in the morning and she went in the house and she had eyes off her for two minutes and now she doesn't hear or see her. It's the middle of the day. It's, you know, it's six o'clock in the evening. And he basically did describe her as a non hypervigilant mother. It's, it's obvious. And he even said that to her when, you know, in, in his talking with her about, you know, did she play by herself? Yeah. She went outside. So obviously she was not a hypervigilant mother. And within two minutes she calls Don. And then he brings up another point that I thought was great. She calls Don and Don says, call the police. And he said, the police interaction in that home hasn't been for help. It's been for arrest and incarceration of Don. He was arrested there not long before. So why did they, he said it sounded very odd to him that two minutes of her being out of earshot of the mother, two to five minutes, whatever it is. And then the call to the husband and then the call to the police. It all just seemed to happen so quickly. And again, everybody was in agreement on that show. And we're in agreement that Candace is holding back something. And that could be the key to the whole case. And most of the people I'm reading some of the chats, they think that uh, Don knows just as much as what she is holding back. I mean, you know, so it sounds like the both of them uh, may or may not be directly involved in the abduction or wherever the whereabouts of some are, but they're holding back information and they need to they need to come forward with it if this is uh, if this case is going to accelerate. I mean, I'm sure that the investigators are doing their due diligence to uh, try and figure it out and come to a successful co conclusion on the whole thing. But you know, if, if uh, very uh, important information is being held back, uh, that's not good. You know, Phil. One of the things I really feel strongly about um, is I I really feel that neither Don nor Candace are fit parents. I really feel strongly about that. And I don't think that the Bureau of Child Welfare would have taken their three boys away if they thought they were fit parents. And they have a history. Uh, I, I believe Candace had two kids taken away from her from a previous uh, relationship or previous marriage. So they have a history of that. There's obvious signs of alcohol and drug abuse on both of them. So, and then combine that with the uh, horrendous condition of their home. Uh, I, I I don't think it's a, a difficult choice for the Bureau of Child Welfare to have removed their, their three boys from them. Billy, you and I both, day one that we started this uh, podcast on this specific case, we both were in agreement on that, that we felt that there was obviously a history of domestic violence in the home, we saw the condition of the home eventually in some of the other podcasters and news reports and stuff. And then uh, when you start to see them giving interviews and they appear to be intoxicated, uh, we both called for Child Protective Service or the Bureau of Child Welfare, whatever you want, whatever the agency is labeled out there, that we felt that they should do an inter interdiction and see if, um, you know, the children should be removed from the home. And sure enough, within days of us saying that on the podcast, they were removed from the home. Now, it may or may not be related to what our opinions were on it, but you and I as being 
uh, veteran police officers, veteran detectives, uh, you being a sergeant and, and being involved in many, many uh, domestic violence cases, as well as myself, we recognized it right away. And that was one of the first things we called for. So, you know, um, th there's a history of those things. And we're just happy that those boys are probably in a safe place right now. Uh, maybe one day they'll be reunited with their family. Who knows? But uh, I'm just glad to see that they are, they are safe and sound and not in a dangerous situation. Uh, sincerity, the home was not fit for any underage child to live in. Horrible conditions, the basement room, horrible. That that house, that basement, they called it the playroom. It looked like worse than any prison cell I've ever seen. Yeah, it, it, it really was, was horrible. like a dungeon. I, I don't know how they could call it that. It, to me, it looked like a dungeon. But again, I don't want to be so uh, so harsh about it. But yeah, I mean, that, that, that young lady's right. Uh Children shouldn't have been living in that environment, and I guess that's why they were removed. Hope for 6SF. They have lost custody of other children. I can't imagine CPS will allow the boys to return to Don and Candace. You know something? I've seen CPS return kids in horrendous situations. Uh, you're almost worse being a ward of the state than you are living in a bad situation. I hate to say that, but... Uh, one of the, the the things that we've learned from our police career is that uh, government doesn't sink a lot of money into the Bureau of Child Welfare. I'll put it that way. Case it's a good workers, way to put it. Yeah, caseworkers are overworked. They're underpaid. underpaid. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and being a ward of the state is not any picnic. So if, if, if it's a little bit better going home to their family, they're almost better off doing that than being wards of the state. Good point, Billy. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the uh, uh, I mean, I can only speak for the New York area. I mean, that's where I've did my whole career. Uh, you know, the, the uh, Child Protective Services in New York, like you said, they're overworked. They have tremendous caseloads. Nobody wants to do that kind of work. It's not an easy job or a task to deal with this kind of stuff. I mean, you know, you're not uh, you're not dealing with uh, happy, friendly people every day. You're dealing with a lot of different. Uh, you know, domestic situations. And uh, again, they're not paid a lot either. And uh, they, you know, the cases do slip through the calf, um, excuse me, slip through the cracks. We've had several cases where, uh, you know, there were many, many calls to Bureau of Child Welfare or Child Protective Services in New York area about specific incidents of child abuse. And uh, unfortunately, the uh, the subject of those calls and, and complaints have uh, turned up dead by at the hands of the abusers, you know, who they called up on. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, instead of uh, politicians looking to uh, spend money in frivolous ways and line their own pockets, uh, a little more money going toward uh, these uh, child protective service agencies would be a, a great improvement. Marlene Barone, most definitely Candace knows what happened or who took her. The child protective services already had an open case, yet those yet left those kids in that environment. That goes horrible, to you know? Yeah, horrible that that could happen. You know, Phil, I, we almost forgot to, um, to read Joe Murray's commercial here. Ha, <laughs> ah, Joe Murray, good man. He's the... Uh, the new podcaster allegedly guilty. If you're in the New York area and you find yourself in a jam and you're in need of legal counsel, do you need a, a victim's advocate or an attorney? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. 
He literally knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. That's jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702, 646-838-1702. Or you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. That's joe at jmurray-law.com. I, I spit it out because I was caught off guard, but Joe has a podcast called Allegedly Guilty, and he's a frequent flyer on the uh, Police Off the Cuff podcast. Good luck to him and Ange on the uh, new show. You know, folks, we haven't um, revisited the show. Probably uh, this case, uh, I would say at least, at least two months, at least yeah. two, three months, three months, and uh, there's really no new smoking gun information. I don't know uh, what direction uh, TBI and the FBI and the Hawkins County Police are going. What direction are they looking at? You always want. In a, in a major investigation, you always want an investigative direction. Who are we looking at? Are they still looking at Candace and Don? Uh, or have they changed direction off of that for some reason that we don't know of? To me, I would always be looking at them unless some really, as I say, smoking gun type of evidence pointed in another direction. Because it's always the people closest to you. And I think that's why the female FBI agent we watched on that TV news show and Dr. Phil and some of his folks said that if there is guilty knowledge of this, then, and if she in fact was taken, then it is definitely someone close to them. It's definitely someone they know. And as I said, I, I always believe that Candace has knowledge of this. You know, Billy, just based on, uh, Everything we know about the layout of the location, uh, yeah, that all makes sense. That, that makes a lot of sense. If it is somewhere, somewhere, somehow that she was abducted, it's going to be somebody that they know or was familiar with her. Uh, it could be something to do with this uh, cornbread mafia, you know, meth, methamphetamine dealers, these meth dealers. Uh, they could be unscrupulous, obviously. Uh, the drug trade is very nasty business. And, uh, and then him talking about firing a meth head the day before, and he's fired numerous ones in the past. So, uh, you know, when you're high on that stuff, God only knows what could be going through your, uh, your brain. And, uh, it could be that somebody that is known to them through this drug dealing, maybe they involved in that kind of uh, narcotics themselves. And, uh, it could be, and maybe that's what prompted the, uh, the recent, uh, arrests of, of that cornbread mafia, uh, you know, targeted by law enforcement. Uh, Deb, uh, Mundorf. Uh, police off the cuff, do you know why they haven't been interrogated to the fullest? There is much deception, lies, and diversion on live videos. I would think it would be warranted. Why don't you answer that, Phil? Well, uh, you know, uh, you're asking if they if they haven't been in, interrogated to the fullest. Now, I talked about interrogations that I've done before, and the way that I do it is, I mean, day one, minute one, as soon as this is reported, I'm getting a good, hard, strong interview out of the person. I'm going to let them talk, tell their story. I'll let them tell it a few times. And then if I find inconsistencies, I'm going to go back over it. Now, re-interviews, you're going to get a good interview that you're going to start with. And then you're going to try and find if you can corroborate a lot of the things that you found out from that interview. Now, there are times when there's minor inconsistencies, that's okay. But if somebody is placing himself in one location specifically around the time that 
she, she may have gone missing or something close to the investigation she's placing herself or he's placing himself or whoever it is that you're interviewing places himself here and you now go to corroborate and you find out that they weren't there, they were someplace else, that's something, re-interview, bring them in. You know, I just want to go over this. You talked about uh, the day of the incident, da, da 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 You said you were here. Let them admit it a second time now. Yes, that's where I was. Well, guess what? I have videotape of you and you play it for them and now they're there with their mouth open and you know, you're going to dig down hard and you're going to try and, and really get to the bottom of it. And again, you're going to throw at them. You lied about this and they may have some stupid reason why they lied. It's possible, you know, well, I, uh, you know, I wasn't supposed to be there or something, whatever, but you're going to say, well, you lied about that. What else did you lie about? And you're going to dig down harder and harder. And, you know, maybe you're going to be loaded with more than just one inconsistency. It might be several inconsistencies. So again, re-interviews, they may have been done. We don't know. It doesn't seem like they were pushed very hard, but she did walk off the interview on the Dr. Phil show and claimed uh, she was upset. I feel like I'm being interrogated again. She used the word interrogated, not interviewed, interrogated. So maybe she was interrogated. We don't know exactly. We don't have the case folder in front of us. She may have been interrogated, interviewed, whatever you want to call it, several times. And we're just not privy to, to that information. But that is a great point, by the way. Marigold, uh, can you refuse to be interviewed? We just went through this with Brian Laundrie and his parents. They uh, invoked 100%. they invoke counsel and they refuse to be interviewed. And maybe uh, maybe Brian Laundrie would be alive today if he didn't refuse to be interviewed. I, I can't predict that, but uh, bad things happened, point. you know. So uh, we can't say we're not you know we're not uh, crystal ball, but. You know, things didn't uh, didn't go well with that. Um, you know, the the thing is with this with this case, it's it's just it's it's gonna be, it's already a long term investigation. We're into five months. You know, and uh, they claimed that they had been interviewed numerous times. It, what's baffling to me is that if they really have been interviewed and interrogated, and they come in as many times as they're asked, why haven't they invoked counsel? That's uh, that was always baffling to me uh, why they haven't. And it um, doesn't really make sense. How about you, Phil? Well, the only thing I can come up with on that, uh, it doesn't appear that they've invoked counsel. And the only thing I can come up with is that they're afraid that it's going to make them look guilty. And they do have a point about that because a lot of times when a person person or persons in, invoke counsel on a criminal investigation, you know, that's like the, a little bit of an aha moment. Oh, you know, what do you got to hide? So maybe that's the, the posture that they're taking. But um, one of the things that uh, was also brought out on the show regarding Candace again, uh, when Dr. Phil had some of the people from the show, his producers or whoever works on the show asked if they could come to the home and take a look at around and, and, you know, I guess bring a camera crew. Uh, Candace said, absolutely not, no way. And then uh, allegedly after she cleaned up, she was going to welcome them back, but they took video from another podcast that was done uh, and they used that video on the show. So again, uh, seemed like she had something to hide. I mean, probably she didn't want to, you know, the house is in disarray and uh, there might've been, you know, now that the kids aren't living there, maybe those kids were the ones that were, were doing the tidying up and the cleaning. So maybe it was really even worse than what we saw on that, uh, on that podcast uh, interview. So uh, she balked at it. And then after a few days, she, you know, she had time to clean it up and then she contacted them and said, yeah, you know, you can come, but they, I don't think they ever did go. He didn't say one way or the other, but rather than, 
using their own video, which I think if they went, they probably would have. They used a video that was supplied on that other podcast. So uh, again, another another notch against Candace. You know, these are questions that you know in an interview. If she was re-interview, these are the things that I'd be drilling down on. Phil, the million dollar question: Will this case ever be solved? I feel confident that it will, and the reason I say that is, is that uh, as time's going on, uh, a lot of things aren't changing. We still are focused on Don and Candace. We're uncovering more and more inconsistencies. You have the great FBI, uh, what is it called, the uh, the TBI, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, and the local police. I'm sure that these investigators aren't uh, sitting back drinking coffee and eating donuts. They're uh, they're probably working their butts off. And I think that we are going to find out. Uh, I'm, I'm actually very uh, encouraged that there was this recent arrest of uh, members of this cornbread mafia, because if they are in the area, whether or not they're involved or not, I mean, if you're facing five to 10 years on a simple drug charge and you know a little bit about the whereabouts of of uh, of Summer Wells, or you know something negative about Candace and Don or somebody else that's involved in this thing, you can get your get out of jail free card punched by giving information on that. So again, we call that shaking the tree, Billy, right? I mean, when we uh, want to target a location for uh, you know, uh, information. We'll go there, check uh, a building to see if who's got warrants. Uh, they will send narcotics into the area to make some drug arrests. And then everybody is getting debriefed or we can even go through parolee files. If there are parolees in the area, have the parole officer call them in and we'll sit there and spend the day in the parole office. And everybody from that area will come in and we'll, you know, we'll sit down and we'll grill them and, and ask them if they have any information to offer. And a lot of times these are successful, uh, successful ways of solving a case and it leads to good leads. Absolutely. Heather Chekalele, Chekalele, that's a hard name to pronounce. I don't think Dr. Phil did his homework. I have followed everything day one. I was incredibly disappointed. Well, I I don't think, you know, for uh, whatever it was, an hour show, an hour and a half show that they were going to drop everything and, and just spend days and days on this. I think that they basically had the gist of what they wanted to uh, say, the gist of what questions they wanted to ask. And I think they did a competent job on it. Uh, you know, I, I don't think, look, no one's going to solve this case in, in a our TV show, you know, when, when it's been going on for five months. You know, you know Billy, I just want to comment on that to head the two. Uh, I know where you're coming from. You're frustrated. We all are. They look at that beautiful little face on the screen right now. And we all want to want her home uh, safe and sound right this minute. I get it. But I got to say, in defense of the Dr. Phil show, and, and Bill just pointed it out, they did they did their best they could do. They, they uncovered some things like about this cornbread mafia. The, the, their observations were very similar to, to Bill and mine. So I think that... Uh, you know, again, they're not they're, they're not the FBI. They're not a local police agency. They're a television show. He's a, supposedly a psychologist. He brought in those uh, body language experts. So that they did okay. And I think, yeah, there was some things that came out of it. I can't say that nothing came out of it. I'm not totally disappointed. 
I mean, uh, we've gone through all the things that came out of it. You know, her walking out of the interview, the cornbread mafia stuff, uh, the timeline. He says about two minutes. She's not a hypervigilant mother, and uh, she's calling her husband. And he's not a kind of guy that's calling 911 and looking to be interacted with police so quickly. So that's another red flag there. So I think, listen, Heather, I get it. You're probably frustrated, just as we are. And uh, I'm not going to knock them. They did. They did an okay job, I think. You know, and I think Bill feels the same way. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, I I joke around and imitate Dr. Phil. That's just because that's who I am. Yeah, that was I'm, just. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a ball breaker and you know, former stand-up <laughs> comic. And I, you know, if I can get a laugh, I'll get one. And uh, I don't mean any harm to Dr. Phil. He's got lots more money than me. He's wearing that. Yeah, me he's, he's, wearing, he's wearing that, that fifty thousand dollar gold watch. Look at his watch next time you watch that show. Yeah. I'm just like, oh my god, uh, you know that that watch is probably uh, you know that's that's an Acura for me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's a car. Tina yeah, he's Chelsea. a successful daytime uh, TV show there, yeah, TV host, whatever you want to call him. He's got a successful show. And God bless him. We don't uh, have any ill will towards him. But, uh, yeah, I think that for a television show, I mean, they put people on it. They brought in these two guys that were uh, body language and uh, behavioral experts. So they did, they did their due diligence, I guess. And, uh, listen, we just got to hope and pray that uh, – Behind the scenes, we don't have access to the case folder that the FBI, TBI, and the local police are doing their uh, due diligence. And uh, I think that uh, somebody's trying to play with us right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Phil, I just put that up for that very reason. Schmitty uh, says, Bill, have Dog and John Walsh on your show. <laughs> Schmitty, touche. Th thank you. You got a yeah. sense of humor, too. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna send out invitations on our next show yeah, to have. Yeah. Don't have, hold your breath on that one. But, uh, have Do <laughs> Dog and John Walsh on our show. I, I don't know if they would show up. I don't know, yeah. but uh, it's uh, Schmitty. It's a good suggestion. You can see we have a sense of humor too because we're laughing at that. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's pretty damn funny. So, guys, tomorrow night at nine o'clock, we have um, yeah, it's gonna be a, a gentleman named Thomas Delgado, who happens to be a stand-up comic, real funny guy. He's a New York City tour guide. Uh, he's the son of a brain surgeon, believe it or not. You never say when you say, hey, your father's no brain surgeon. Well, <laughs> mine well, mine is. Yeah, you know? that's great. And, and, and Thomas Delgado, besides all of those other things, he has a law degree. But his parents must be like, what the hell are you doing? Will you have a law degree and you're a stand-up comic and a tour guide? Are you kidding me? But that's what he is. And he's a really funny guy. I'm going to do a show um, first about some of the neighborhoods in New York City that he's visited, but also he does a show on famous mafia hits and the locations of these mafia hits in New York City. So uh, tomorrow night at 9, Tom, uh, Tomas Delgado, Tom Delgado. I think he likes to be called Tom. I call him Tomas just to, to break, break his chops. But so if you're around tomorrow night at nine o'clock, it should be a great show. And I'm looking forward to it. Phil, final words. Final words. I'm really looking forward to Tom Delgado's show because uh, I watched a little bit of his podcast where he goes to different neighborhoods. It's very interesting stuff. I mean, everybody loves New York and New York City area. It's a great tourist attraction. But then when you talk about uh, some of the locations he went to where the mob hits took place, that's part of the New York history. Bill and I are actually uh, very much into that. You know, we worked on the police force when a lot of these 
uh, hits went down. We have our good friend, Tommy Dades, who's a retired first grade detective, been on the show many times. He's an expert on organized crime stuff going back to probably even before he was born up until now he uh he uh actually was on the show with us when we had Sammy the Bull Gravano as a guest so really looking forward to that last word on Summer Weld's case guys keep praying let's hope that uh she's found safe and sound I really really would be so happy I, I think I would cry I would be so happy if she's found safe and sound and uh Good luck to the FBI, the TBI, and the local police that are investigating that case. You know, Phil, I think that could still happen. I'm, I'm an yes. optimist, and I think that uh, could still happen. Absolutely. But any, anyway, guys, thank you so much for tuning in tonight. This was my uh, third show of the day. No, don't. I'm not trying. Don't feel no, sorry I can for me. You're wiped out. I can <laughs> but my, but my my voice is starting to go. You know. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not singing any songs tonight like I was this afternoon. But anyway, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Have a great night and be safe. Stay safe, everyone. God bless. One episode, just ain't enough.